What is up, everybody? This is Jack Bushman here with another episode of Talking Hockey. I'll be going solo on today's episode as, unfortunately, my partner, Moneybags Hurt, was not able to make it on this Saturday afternoon, and today is Saturday, January 19th, and the Blackhawks continue to struggle in 2019 with a couple of tough road losses out on the East Coast. The game against the Devils was one to absolutely forget, besides Patrick Kane's fantastic night, and the Rangers game was one that felt like it slipped away. So the tough two road losses puts the Hawks now at 16-24-9 with 41 points through 49 games. That puts the Chicago Blackhawks back in last place and right back into the lose for Hughes and Crapo for Capo sweepstakes, which isn't the worst thing in the world, honestly. We said on the last episode that with a struggling Western Conference and two games coming up against sub-500 teams, those two games are going to be a big indicator on if we still have a chance to possibly sneak in the playoffs or not. But we got our answer, and <laughs> I don't think it was to anybody's surprise. The Blackhawks are now 1-4-3 and three in their past eight games in 2019, and would like to win one of these next two games at home to prevent a one-win January. Combine that with a three-win month of November, and voila, you have the worst team in the entire NHL. It's getting really frustrating to watch again, uh, watching a team like the New Jersey Devils dominate us with their speed despite Taylor Hall being out of their lineup, arguably their fastest player, or to watch a team with offensive struggles like the New York Rangers give our defense problems for most of the night. I know this team is bad and clearly has their flaws in the every-night lineup, but I didn't think we were dead last in the NHL bad. I know our defense needs work, but to say we are worse than the Ottawa Senators and the Philadelphia Flyers is free, is quite frankly disheartening. But at this point, we might as well ride the season out, see what kind of early first-round pick we could snag, and hopefully it's the likes of Jack Hughes or Capo Keiko. But looking back at the game last Monday in New Jersey, sadly, I'm going to break that game down. You could tell right from the get-go that the Hawks were going to struggle to keep up with the speed of the New Jersey Devils. The first period was without a doubt the best period of the night for the Hawks, although Cam Ward did have to make some big saves to keep that period at just one nothing. The only goal of the period was probably the easiest of Mr. Pickles, <laughs> Brandon Coleman's career, as Duncan Keith did a poor job of keeping the puck at the blue line, and Coleman was rewarded with a late Christmas gift right out of the box. He deked Cam Ward out of his jockstrap to give the Devils the lead. The big issue on this play was Duncan Keith's, de Duncan Keith's defense, which was one of the huge stories of the entire night, as Keith was a whopping minus five on the night in one game. That was just poor decision-making right there to not know the situation. Cannot possibly allow that puck to get by with a man coming fresh out of the box. It was a goal that kind of reminded me of Victor Arvidsson's breakaway goal right off the center ice faceoff a few games back against the Nashville Predators. Those type of plays deteriorate your momentum and just cannot happen. The Blackhawks uh, cannot allow those plays to happen, especially when they have struggled to score goals as of late. So the Blackhawks headed into the second period down one nothing, But on the third power play of the game, the top unit finally cashed in. Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane had a beautiful give-and-go play to enter the zone with speed. Jonathan Taze uh, moved up the left boards with the puck, and both men attacked him, so he made a nice pass to give it to Kaner for a little two-on-one, and Kaner ripped a shot past the blocker of Blackwood for his 26th goal of the season. 
Dylan Strome picked up the secondary assist on this goal, and although he wasn't really directly involved in the play, it's good to see his name back on the score sheet as he had just one point in his six games prior to this one. Also, of course, good to see the power play continue their hot ways as that makes it six games in a row with a power play goal. I know we've been talking about the power play a lot lately on Talking Hockey, but the Hawks' power play was so disgustingly bad for so long that I love talking about this power play right now because they're actually able to enter the zone with speed, move the puck around, and create scoring chances. It's honestly refreshing that I don't have that thought in the back of my head to be like, should we decline the penalty? Like, we're that bad on the power play. So <laughs> it's good to see the power play continuing to stay hot. Uh, of course, Patrick Kane picks up the power play goal. He's been as hot as anyone in the NHL as of late. So good to see that top unit uh, really find their consistency after struggling for most of the season. But unfortunately, after Kaner's power play goal, the second period went downhill fast. The Hawks, and specifically Slater Cuckoo, was caught napping on the defensive end and gave the Devils their second breakaway goal in as many periods. Kyle Palmieri, luckily for me at least, he was on my fantasy team. He netted two in this game. He roofed the shot over Cam Ward's glove to give the Devils their lead back just two minutes after Patrick Kane's goal. And then later on, Palmieri was rewarded with a gift power play goal as, oh, this was a bad one. He meant to pass it down low to Brian Boyle. Or I'm not even really sure what he was trying to do, but anyway, the puck managed to go on net and it somehow sneaked past the skate of Cam Ward. Uh, it was tough because the puck was never lifted off the ice and it was a goal that gave Hawks Twitter Nation an absolute panic attack. People were freaking out, calling for... Cam Ward to get pulled right there and then, and they would get their wish eventually. Uh, but that was just a tough goal to allow. Cam Ward, he, he played pretty solid up to that point, but that was kind of the turning point of the game right there. He allowed some bad ones. Uh, right three minutes later, we saw kind of a bad one. Travis Zajac put home a gift of his own, but that one was kind of on Eric Gustafson. As Gus kind of looked like he could care less to play any defense at all, as Miles Wood absolutely torched him down the ice. And then this was the most disturbing part to me of this play. Once Miles Wood did put the puck on net, Eric Gustafson, he didn't stop at the front of the net to, you know, go clean up the rebound or go box somebody out. He followed Miles Wood to the corner, and that gave Travis Zajac an opportunity to tap the puck into the back of the net after Dominic Cahoon didn't do much to stop him on the back check. So it was really an absolute disaster of a period all around. Uh, already, and it wasn't even close to over. We saw a couple minutes later, Sammy Votnin absolutely clapped one past Ward for the Devils' fourth goal of the period off a failed Drake Kajulik clear. And then <laughs> another bad play for Eric Gustafson. He looked like a spectator once again, getting torched by Drew Stafford, a wily veteran. Absolutely burned the young defenseman. Eric Gustafson looked poor all night long. Uh, and then he also just watched... Uh, after Stafford had the breakaway, he didn't really do anything but stand in front of his own net and try to block the shot and allowed Kevin Rooney, Rooney, to score his first NHL goal. So it was a really uh, rough period for the Blackhawks and their defense. The Devils had just scored their fifth goal in 13 minutes. Cam Ward slammed his stick against the post in frustration of the effort in front of him, which honestly was understandable because the defensive effort that the Blackhawks gave uh that game on Monday night. We, we looked like an AHL, <laughs> AHL team's defense back there. So it got really ugly in that second period. Uh, feel for Cam Ward in that spot. He really didn't get much help all period long. But uh, the Blackhawks, or I, I could say the Patrick Canes, 
would at least show some fight as Kane hammered a one-timer from an absolute impossible angle for his second of the night and 27th already on the season, matching his goal total from last season in just 48 games. And he played a full season last year, so we continue to see Kaner produce no matter what the situation is. And he wasn't done either, as just a few minutes later, he assisted on what would be Brent Seabrook's 100th goal of his NHL career. Congratulations to Brent Seabrook. I know he gets a lot of hate for the contract that he has, but people really should stop hating Seabrook for the contract that he signed. You know, it's possible to hate the contract and still love the player. We wouldn't have three Stanley Cups without Brent Seabrook, so congratulations, Seabs, on your 100th NHL goal, and it's really only fitting that he would score on a slapper from really only a couple feet out, but great recognition by Seabs to jump into the play, something that he really needs to start doing more often and Kaner found him for his fifth goal of the season. So this game was really a wild one. Score was 6-3 after the second period. We saw eight goals scored in the second period, if you can believe that, ladies and gentlemen. An eight-goal period in just 20 minutes. So the Blackhawks, they needed to do some work in the third to have a comeback, and unfortunately, they allowed the first goal of the period to go down 7-3. But then the big kahuna, as Eddie Olchek would say, probably my favorite nickname on the Blackhawks. I love saying that. The big kahuna, he'd score. <laughs> he scored a beautiful goal. Uh, nice play by Carl Dahlstrom to really make the play happen. Uh, Dahlstrom found Cahoon in the slot, and he beat Blackwood blocker side to cut it to seven to four. And then Brandon Saad, ugh, frustrating as usual, would score a typical. Brandon Saad goal with just a minute 30 left in the third period from who else but the Wizard himself, Patrick Kane. And it was Kane's fourth point of the night and fifth consecutive multi-point game. Well, it would all be for naught as the Hawks dropped the game 8-5 to after Mr. Pickle's empty netter, which is disgusting. We allowed eight goals in a game to the New Jersey Devils without Taylor Hall. So, <laughs> It was a rough defensive effort from kind of everyone on the night, but honestly, one positive from this game, believe it or not, Carl Dahlstrom and Connor Murphy, they had a bounce-back game like I thought they would, honestly. In the previous episode, I said I expected Dahlstrom and Murphy to come back after you know two games of kind of struggling for the first time uh, since being paired together, although it didn't really have an effect on the outcome. Carl Dahlstrom finishes a plus three in this game, like, in a game where the Blackhawks defense allowed eight goals, one of their defensemen was a plus three, and Connor Murphy was a plus one on the night. So shows that Duncan Keith was on the ice for most of the goals. He was a minus five. <laughs> so, you know, on a night when you allow eight goals, those are significant numbers. So it's good to see those guys bounce back the way we wanted. And then one other positive from this game, Patrick Kane, obviously on an absolute tear. Without him, this game could have easily been eight nothing or eight to one. Kaner is hot right now. He's absolutely feeling it, as hot as anyone in the entire NHL. He already has as many goals as he did in the full season last year, so fantastic to see Kaner, even though uh, the Blackhawks are the worst team in the entire NHL. Patrick Kane's still putting up numbers like he was in his NHL season, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to top that 106-point mark this season. He's on pace to come close right now through 49 games, so we'll just have to wait and see. Some negatives to take away from this game. (laughs) Eric Gustafson was benched after the second period because he looked nothing like an NHL defenseman all night. He was getting burned for breakaways. So Gustafson's kind of playing that similar style that we saw uh, earlier in the season that 
uh, found him, you know, being scratched and watching games from the press box. So he's kind of been in that struggle uh, defensive mode lately, which, you know, I thought hopefully was in the past, but it's clearly not. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Eric Gustafson in these upcoming games because his defense has just not been good enough, and he knows it, Jeremy Carlton knows it, and everyone else knows it. It's becoming very apparent once again. And then Slater Cuckoo in his Blackhawks debut did not look good, and it was in a humiliating uh, loss. You know, you can't really judge him too much because the whole team was terrible, but he got burned for a breakaway, he got benched for the rest of the second period, and Honestly, I think the only reason that he played in the third was because that Jeremy Colleton decided to sit Eric Gustafson for the whole period. So, kind of disheartening to see Slater Cuckoo benched in just the second period of his Blackhawks debut. That's not too good. So, it was a frustrating one to watch, man. Jonathan Taze called it one to throw in the trash, and that's exactly what I wanted to do with my TV halfway through this game. I want to punch a hole in the wall. Defense was trash all night long. So, putting that one in the past and moving on to the game last Thursday night in Madison Square Garden. The Hawks were back with a normal lineup, 12 forwards and 6 defensemen after rocking the 11 forwards and 7 D-men uh, in New Jersey. Jeremy Colleton, though, did juggle the lines up a bit with Saad and Debrinket back on the top line with Jonathan Taze and Drake Kajula on the second line with Patrick Kane and Dylan Strom and Colin Delia back in net for the Blackhawks. And I was hoping the Hawks were going to pick up a huge road win in Madison Square Garden. They have played well against the Rangers in recent past. And they came out looking sharp early on in the first period, striking for the game's first goal, once again on the power play. But what was different this time is it wasn't the first unit doing the damage. We haven't seen the second unit be too effective for the Blackhawks, but they were able to pick up a power play goal here as Brent Seabrook fired a slapper from the blue line that Artem Anisimov redirected off the crossbar. And Brandon Saad actually caught a break for once here as the puck bounced right to him off the crossbar, and he tapped it in for his 14th goal of the season, second in as many games. But one man's gain is another man's losses. Unfortunately, that was Artem Anisimov's third post in the past two games. He hit two in New Jersey. So, fortunately, it did wind up in the back of the net, and Anisimov picked up a primary assist on the play. Just, of course, two of the more unlucky guys on the Blackhawks. Brandon Side catches a break while Artem Anisimov hits one off the post. So, I just found that kind of ironic. Uh, and while the Hawks, you know, they had a solid first 10 minutes of the first period, the last 10, they kind of looked like a different team. We saw Eric Gustafson. This was kind of a weird play. Um, really could have gone either way. He stepped up into the offensive zone with the puck, and he kind of wound up for a slapper, and then Jesper Foss kind of tied him up. It kind of looked like a penalty. You really, really weren't sure how it was going to be called, and unfortunately it didn't go the Hawks' way, and it cost him as Philip Hadel took the puck and went coast to coast burning Henry Yoki Haru and roofing a shot over the glove of Colin Delia. Right when I saw that uh, Hadel had a step on Yoki Haru, I said out loud, I was like, oh boy. And then two seconds later, houses it over the glove of Delia. Not much he could have done on that one. Uh, and Hadel was able to tie it up one-to-one. But uh, more of more significance, it was one of the few times that Henry Yoki Haru looked like a rookie this season. It was, you know... He's been so surprisingly good that it was weird to see someone like Philip Hadel blow right past him to tie this game up. And unfortunately, a few minutes later, the Rangers gave themselves some game-changing momentum as Matt Zuccarello stuffed one home 
out front after a Mark Stahl shot from the point. It was another tough goal to allow. One that you think that, you know, a young 19-year-old like Henry Yokiharu, he's he's going to learn from, didn't really box out his man too well, kind of left Artem Anisimov in no man's land. They have to defend that play better, and Zuccarello was able to uh, wind up uh, behind the net, or behind Colin Delia, and put that one home uh, and gave the Rangers uh, a late lead in the first period. So... Those things are going to happen with a rookie. It's all about the learning process with Henry Yokiharu right now. He's been such a surprise, as I said, this season. It's weird to see him kind of make these plays. You know, he got burned twice in the first period, but all in the learning process. Clearly, this season's looking more and more like a lost cause, so uh, it's important that he doesn't put his head down or get discouraged or anything. You know, he's been fantastic as a rookie. There's nothing to be ashamed about right now. So, uh, Blackhawks were down 2-1 to one heading into the second period. And Chris Kreider would score the only goal of the second period and came off a terrible Duncan Keith turnover. Duncan Keith did make a fantastic play initially to intercept Matt Zuccarello's initial pass off of Brandon Saad turnover. But instead of throwing it out of harm's way, Duncan Keith tried to get cute and it cost the Blackhawks basically the game-winning goal. It was a play that a veteran like Duncan Keith cannot afford to make in a one-goal game. It was going to be tough for the Hawks to come back on the road after going down 3-1. to one. Fortunately, Keith intercepted the pass but just threw it right back to the slot for Kreider to beat Delia and put the Blackhawks down 2. Moving into the third period, uh, it was another Blackhawks power play opportunity and the first line, or the first power play unit, was able to cash in on this one as who else would make the play happen but the big three, uh, Patrick Kane, Eric Gustafson, and Alex Debrinkit. Kane passed it over to Gustafson, and uh, Gust worked the puck right to the wheelhouse of Alex Debrinkit. He made no mistake about it, firing a one-timer over the glove of Henrik Lundqvist. And man, is it so cool and fun to watch Alex Debrinkit grow into his own right in front of us. And he's must-see TV right now. His development of that one-timer has been game-changing, and it's the kind of weapon that Patrick Kane needs to play with. It was Dabrinkit's 24th goal of the season already and his sixth goal in the past six games. But before I move on, I do have to give Dylan Strome some credit for a perfect screen on Henrik Lundqvist, and that's the job that Dylan Strome needs to play with the skill guys like Kane and Dabrinkit at the dots, kind of that Artem Anisimov role as the second-line center a couple seasons ago with Kane and Panarin. You go to the front of the net, you provide screens, you get some rebound chances, and you draw the attention of defenders to open up the passing lane for the skill guys. So nice job by Dylan Strom there to take away the eyes of Lundqvist and cut the Rangers' lead to one. And although the Hawks, they only had six shots on goal in the third period, they did produce some decent chances. Jonathan Taze had the best one in the final minutes as the clock was ticking down. He had a wide open glove side, and unfortunately, he shot it right into the bread basket of Henrik Lundqvist. That was kind of the moment that made you feel like this one was over and the Hawks weren't going to be able to make the comeback. And shortly after, Mika Zibanejad put home an empty netter to seal the deal. Although <laughs> the big Cahoon uh, would score his eighth goal of the season, second in as many games with just 1.5 seconds left, which honestly felt like more of a slap in the face than anything. So the Hawks dropped the game 4-3, to and it was their fifth loss in the row. This one really hurt because it felt like it, it was a, just a game the Hawks, it was a game where the Hawks came out of the gate with some fire, 
but then they ended up losing the momentum late in the first, and it really cost them the game. Patrick Kane did pick up a secondary assist on the Alex DeBrinkett power play goal to extend his point streak to seven games, and also of much significance, he played 25-17 of ice time. Game after, I forgot to mention this game in New Jersey, he played 28-50 of ice time, which is absolutely bonkers. That's like Duncan Keith 2015 playoff minutes. Like, playing half the game as a forward is, like, unheard of. So Patrick Kane now has led the uh, led all Blackhawks skaters in ice time for the second game in a row, and whenever a forward leads a team in ice time, that's significant. So Patrick Kane, it's good to see that uh, even though he's playing a ton of ice time, He's not playing with uh, playing with fatigue or anything. He's not tired. He's clearly still able to produce for this team. Some other takeaways from the game quickly before we move on. Brennan Perlini played a team low 7.30 of ice time, which is three minutes less than Chris Kunitz. And I know that he didn't play much in the third because what well, what we know now, he ended up being put in concussion protocol. But he put two shots on goal. Uh, in his short time on ice, and while Kunitz, you know, or while uh, Perlini wasn't, like, he wasn't terrible on the night, still playing 7.30 through two periods, like, why are you playing Marcus Kruger and Chris Kunitz more than him? I don't get it. I understand that he's taking some bad penalties, but in his short time uh, on ice, he's able to put shots on net, and he's able to make some uh, big hits using his body, and Honestly, at this point to me, it just makes no sense because if the Blackhawks don't believe in him, then they should try to trade him and see if they can get anything for him because he's going to be a free agent after the season. And If you continue to play him in this role, playing seven to eight minutes a night, I guarantee you he's going to walk away and leave and give for nothing. The Blackhawks are going to lose him for nothing. He's going to go sign somewhere else where he thinks he can play a more significant role than this because I honestly think he can bring more to the table than what he is right now. He scored 17 goals last year for Arizona. Like, There's obviously some skill there, but Jeremy Carlton's not going to find it playing him on the fourth line seven to eight minutes a night. So hopefully Pearls uh, isn't in concussion protocol for too long. Hopefully it's not a significant injury and won't keep him out for too long. Maybe this is what he needs, though. Maybe uh, he needs to have some time off away from the ice, get his confidence and get his mind right. Hopefully the concussion doesn't affect that too badly because I really want to see more from Brennan Perlini when he returns from concussion protocol. And also a quick takeaway from this game, Eric Gustafson had himself another poor night defensively. He was a minus two, making him minus five over the past five games. Hawks have lost all five of those games. So, well, Eric Gustafson is a fantastic point man on the power play. His defense five on five is becoming more and more concerning. He might honestly need to sit in the press box again for him to get the message. I love the offense that he brings. Don't get me wrong, but we're talking about the future now with the Chicago Blackhawks. Clearly, this team isn't good enough to win right now. And if Eric Gustafson wants to be a top four defenseman for the Blackhawks in the future, he has to learn to play tougher on the puck. I'm sick of seeing him get bullied by a bigger guy with the puck. He's terrible at keeping people away from the net. It's one of his worst, <laughs> worst attributes. The way he's playing simply isn't good enough, and Jeremy Colleton may have to take action once again soon. He, he's done it before, so I wouldn't put it past Colleton to put Eric Gustafson back up in the press box to get the message back to his head that, yeah, listen, we understand that you're great with a man up on at the point on the power play. 
But if you're not playing defense for us as a defenseman, like, he's clearly, I think he's our worst defensive defenseman. He, like, I, and that's saying something, because Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook have looked terrible this season. But Gustafson, like, he doesn't play smart in his own zone. He has bad turnovers, and he's not tough on the puck or in front of the net. Like, everything good you say about Eric Gustafson is in his offensive game. It's his speed into the zone, his vision from the point, and his one-timer. Like, those are his three best three best attributes, and none of them are, are, have to do with playing defense, actually. So, something's got to change there if Eric Gustafson wants to be a part of this defensive core for the future. And honestly, he's someone that could possibly wind up being trade bait because he is a free agent at the end of next year it'll kind of be interesting to see what he would be paid and he's just like kind of got the feel of one of those guys who Stan Bowman might move because we're not really sure what we have in him kind of like a Nick Schmaltz scenario so it'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out that's a long-term picture though looking at the Blackhawks here and now as I said earlier, they are now 16-24-9 and nine on the season with the worst record in the entire NHL. They are riding a five-game losing streak, and the schedule doesn't get any easier now after two games against subpar teams. The Blackhawks finish off their January with two home games versus the Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders. Both of them are having fantastic seasons, and the Hawks have yet to win a home game in the new year. So... Looking at the game tomorrow morning at 11.30 against the Capitals, Hawks have no walk in the park. The Capitals are 27-15-5 on the season, and they're a solid 14-7-2 on the road. Although Washington is on a four-game losing skid of their own right now, the Blackhawks are a worthless 8-10-6 at home this season, so despite the Caps' recent struggles, the home ice advantage doesn't seem to play into effect for the Blackhawks too much. They have 16 losses in the United Center already this season. So looking at some of the numbers now, breaking down the game, while Washington is 8th in the league in goals scored per game, they're in the middle of the pack in goals allowed. The defense hasn't been as shut down as they were in the playoffs last season, and the goaltending hasn't been lights out. The Hawks are in the middle of the pack in the goal scoring department, and with the red-hot power play, I think they could be able to score some goals on Washington. Hopefully, that will be the case as the Hawks have scored four goals just twice in the past eight games. So, they need to start scoring more goals. It seems they're losing a lot of games, 4-2 to two and 4-3. to three. Need to get over that hump. And speaking of the power play, the Hawks' power play has some incredible numbers right now. They are 9-for-24 in 2019. That's fantastic. And going back to that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, they scored two goals right after... The penalty expired, so the Blackhawks could be like 11 for 24 in their eight games in 2019, and they have a power play goal in seven straight games right now and in 12 of their past 14. They're one of the hottest power plays, if not the hottest power play in the league right now, and they're all the way up to 17th after being dead last a month ago. They jumped 7% in the last month and have climbed 14 places. While Washington doesn't have the absolute worst penalty kill like we do, we have the absolute worst penalty kill in the entire league. They're 23rd in the league, so it's kind of been a weakness uh, to the Washington Capitals. I think if the Hawks can stay out of the box and keep the Capitals' 11th-ranked power play off the ice, the Hawks have a chance in this one. But if they let the Capitals' power play outplay theirs, I don't think this game will go in the Hawks' favor. 
But looking at the Blackhawks' potential lineup for that game tomorrow afternoon, the Hawks had some interesting line combinations at practice this morning. The top line was something we haven't seen yet with with Drake Kajula, Jonathan Taze, and Patrick Kane all on the first line. Interesting to see that Jeremy Carlton is going back to Taze and Kane there. The second line was Alex DeBrinkett, Dylan Strom, and the Big Kahuna. So the Big Kahuna jumps on the second line to play with DeBrinkett and Strom, who obviously have that chemistry established from their time in the OHL. And then the third line and fourth line, it was kind of, hey, I don't know how I really feel about it. Third line was Brandon Saad, David Camp, and Marcus Kruger, which to me it looks like they'll generate absolutely no offense entirely. And then the fourth line was Hayden, Anisimov, and Kunitz with Perlini and concussion protocol. So that bottom six, uh, I'm not sure it's going to get the job done, but hey, clearly right now the Hawks, current bottom six hasn't been producing too much offensively. It's really just been DeBrinket, Gustafson, Kane, and then, you know, maybe like Taze thrown in there. They've been responsible for most of the offense, uh, especially in 2019 here. So something needs to change in the bottom six to get them going. Uh, and on the defensive side, it was interesting. The Blackhawks practiced eight defensemen today. Or yes, it was today still. <laughs> as Gustav Forsling was back and skating again. So he could be activated any day now. And that will uh, make it interesting because the Blackhawks will likely make a roster move. I don't think they'll keep eight defensemen. And it will be interesting to see if they decide to send down Gustav Forsling to Rockford. Or if they put Slater Cuckoo. Back on waivers, so it'll that will be interesting. I'm not sure if they want to put Cuckoo on waivers after seeing uh, what he brings to the table for really just two periods. He was benched for the second, just one game. I really hope they don't judge him off just one game. I didn't think it was like that bad. I mean, Jeremy Colleton might have, but I don't think it's like bad enough to just cut him after one game. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, what happens when Forsling returns, obviously, and it'll also be interesting to see if those lines stick when it comes to game time tomorrow. Who knows what it'll look like. Uh, and then one other big takeaway from the Blackhawks practice this morning was that Corey Crawford was back on the ice and skating. He was fully padded up in net, so it was good to see Corey Crawford uh, healthy enough to be back on the ice he obviously wouldn't be there unless he felt comfortable with the prior concussion injuries. So, you know, I kind of had mixed feelings about it because I love seeing Corey Crawford have the confidence to go back out on the ice, even though the Blackhawks are dead last in the NHL and he really won't make a difference. And he was getting lit up in his time, time back anyway. Uh, I think, you know, in a lost season, do we... Do we risk bringing him back this season? I think it's kind of really, I think the ball's in his court. If he wants to come back and play this season, if he can, if he's healthy enough, sure, why not, you know? Good for Corey Crawford to be able to come back and battle through that. But at the same time, I don't want to risk another injury because, you know, I don't even know if Corey Crawford has one more good year in him. I mean, he was fantastic this year. The numbers won't show it because the defense was absolutely that bad, but... Corey Crawford, I just don't know if I want to risk having him play in a season that really means nothing. Uh, you know, if he wants to come back and play, I'm not, you know, I'm for it. I'm not going to say, no, don't do it. But 
there definitely is some risk there, and every Chicago Blackhawks fan will feel it uh, if he does decide to return this season. So interesting to see Corey Crawford. It was an interesting practice overall, honestly, with the defensive pairings. There were eight defensemen practicing. Uh, the lines, the forward lines were completely different than anything we have seen this season. And then Corey Crawford was back in net. Uh, obviously, there's no timetable still on his return. Jeremy Colleton even came out and said after practice, you know, don't read too much into this. It's not like he's coming back, you know, this week or anything. We still have no, no, uh, really, no real return date or any uh, date in mind that he could possibly come back for. So it's kind of uh, a patience thing. It's kind of a wait and see thing. We'll see how Corey Crawford feels. And, you know, if he wants to come back, maybe we'll see him again this season. Uh, maybe we won't see him until the start of the 2019-2020 campaign. So Blackhawks have a lot of interesting uh, things happening around them right now, despite being the worst team in the NHL right now. Hopefully we can pick up some wins in these upcoming home games. I really don't want to win only one game in the month of January. That would be really rough, but even if it does happen, just means we have a better chance of landing someone like Jack Hughes or uh, Capo Keiko. So it will be uh, interesting down the stretch nonetheless, no matter what position the Chicago Blackhawks are in, and that's what I love about following this team. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Talking Hockey. Thank you again to everyone who's listening. I really appreciate it, guys. As always, if you're on Twitter, make sure to follow the Twitter page at TalkHockey for all Blackhawks news and updates, and I'll be live tweeting the game tomorrow afternoon. Despite some good football games being on, I will be live tweeting the Blackhawks and Washington Capitals game that starts at 11.30. You know, hopefully it does end a little early so I can catch most of the Rams-Saints game. That will be an awesome game to watch. But hopefully uh, it'll come after a Chicago Blackhawks win. They really need to get it back on track here. Maybe they don't. I don't really know. I'm kind of caught in between at this point. If they lose, they lose. If they win, I'll take it. If they lose, better chance of getting a bad draft pick. If they win, can at least feel a little bit better inside. So once again, thank you to everybody who listened. I appreciate it more than you guys know. Go Blackhawks. Big win tomorrow afternoon. As always, make our defense great again. Thank you. Peace.